0: Hey everyone, it's Alyssa Sitara. Welcome to our third and final installment of our Haven't Said Enough About Refugees segment. Today we're sitting down with the awesome Erica Barraza, founder and CEO of EV Realities, to discuss her work as a social entrepreneur and her first-hand experience working with refugees landing on the shores of Greece. I'm actually a huge fan of yours before we met, we met when we both moved to LA because mm. we were both new to LA and we were in similar circles and and working in the same space. So so we met being like, I have no friends here. Um, and <laughs> I played it off cool until now, but I've been a huge fan of yours. And part of it was cause I was um, doing a lot of work with refugees, I was helping establish a startup that was connecting refugees to coding education. And you had been in Greece living and working with refugees creating a film about it. And I just thought it was the most incredible thing. And I was like, I don't know who this person is, but I want to be them. (laughs) So it's really full circle for me to have her on my show right now, kind of a big deal. But I would love I I know about all of that work, but I would love for anyone listening to be able to hear about it. What was that like for you? Why did you go to Greece? Let's start with that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I I actually I went to Greece for a number of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, First and foremost, I, I really needed to get out. Of San Francisco and the Silicon Valley mindset, because yeah, you know I, I had been in that environment for several years at that point. As you said in the beginning, I'm native to the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, but I had the opportunity to work with a global nonprofit called Communitaire who had a grant to launch a, a, you know, a new community makerspace in the north of Greece. So I, I jumped at the opportunity. Again,
0: I feel like that's a really niche word, so I'm going to interject, interject oh. here. Community makerspace.
1: <laughs> yeah, so makerspace. So what Communitaire focuses in on is... Uh, it, helping communities lift themselves up. Mm-hmm. So we really went in there with a focus of empowering both refugees and low income Greeks, with an opportunity to have either new skill sets, or new hobbies, right?
0: Yeah, and you were there in 2016, 2017. in 2016,
1: we actually went to Lebanon and worked with refugees there. Um, and that was with a completely different project that I'm also happy to talk about. But with Greece it was last year 2017,
0: almost exactly a year ago when we went. Um, yeah, and there was and there still is a horrible refugee crisis. So it's so incredible that you are focusing on empowering yeah. these people in Greece, the re- Greece is heavily impacted by the refugee
1: Person. Absolutely. And, and we were in Thessaloniki, which is known as the city of refugees. Uh, through millennia now, refugees from that whole Mediterranean and Middle, middle Eastern region have crossed through Thessaloniki. Um, and so it, it was something that felt uh, almost generational to an aspirational and also kind of a, a, a a desperate state of mm-hmm. how how is this still happening? Yeah, you know, and and I think that just goes well beyond human nature and things that you know even a community space could resolve. But it was something that you know allowed us to connect with refugee families and communities and the the grassroots nonprofits who are there doing an
0: absolutely amazing We're job, doing everything from the ground up, which is so important. I feel like unfortunately so overlooked and not just refugees and not just Greece like worldwide yes I think
1: I think a, a lot of the grassroots nonprofit organizations who are in there and filling the gaps in AIDS and services well beyond you know the the base level of you know food and shelter but even there the the grassroots organization in Thessaloniki and the, in the northern region did an amazing job at systematizing and providing logistics and helping deliver food and all the other benefits um so we we did our part in in building a community center Uh, and a mobile maker lab that visited different refugee camps to provide, uh, you know, basically hobbies, but also potential new job skills, Um, really something that gave people hope and optimism, because I think that was something that truly inspired the documentary in VR that Pablo Mojave and I worked on. uh, Because what we recognized with a number of folks that we spoke to is that they didn't own their own narrative, mm-hmm. you know. Their story got out when folks like the BBC or the UN or Deutsche Welle um,
0: decided you know, and to, so yeah, to w- approach them and speak to them about their own narrative which is exactly a really and 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 so I'm so sure. many
1: reporters jump in you know with with the story already pre-crafted in their head
0: and then they're looking for people who can just substantiate it. It. that so you and pablo decided to create a, a vr film it, mm-hmm. was is that the correct yeah yeah so we, it we was did a, a VR, vr film it was it's a 360 mm-hmm. what was what was the aim going in i guess you kind of just covered that what was the outcome? Yeah, we, what did you, What was the most important thing you found out absolutely. in that experience? So we we called the
1: film on site, uh, which is a which is a play on words on
0: site being location based. Was it site being visual prejudices? What I love that brilliant. Um, was it in refugee camps or just just in refugee populated areas or, or or
1: so so we were very fortunate to be connected with a set of brothers it was three brothers who are actually refugees from Afghanistan um and they were uh you know they were living in in Lesvos and also had uh volunteer opportunities they were seeking asylum and that was really what was most compelling for us about their story was that they were at different stages of the asylum seeking
0: process, each brother was each adi- brother, wow, yeah, and because
1: they were all adult males, the likelihood that they had any chance of staying together is very little very very low likelihood that they could all stay together as a family unit because. They were all young men, um, you know, and so there's yeah, there's there's different rules and regulations about asylum seekers and families and being able to keep them Mm -hmm. together or being able to receive asylum from uh, one country and not another, etc. So it, it was a really compelling story. But what we learned from them in this process we wanted them to own their story because yeah. they—they are podcasters, they are film students, they were creatives in their own right. So we said, "Well, we want to hear your perspective. Yeah. What is the oh, story yeah. that you haven't been allowed to talk?" Mm-hmm. Because so when I think about a, a 360 or VR impact film, I'm I'm thinking about it in three potential spaces for impact. One, as the director, yes. right? I'm. I'm experiencing a level of empathy myself as the creator mm-hmm. in terms of just trying to storyboard and plan out mm-hmm. what is the experience that I want my viewer to go through. The second level of empathy and potential impact is as the viewer myself, right? When I put on that headset, what is it that I'm seeing, mm-hmm. you know, and the director, unfortunately, in and this is a huge challenge for film industries and people working in cinematic it's and in the flatties in the flatties, <laughs> you've lost your frame, right? Yeah. And your frame is your narrative story. You know, that's that's where your story lives and telling you where to look. So here, it's more okay, there's there's a greater potential because I'm experiencing things in this Uh, embodied cognition level of I'm actually forming a muscle memory in my brain thinking that I'm standing in a refugee camp or thinking that I'm standing somewhere.
0: And that's not just your opinion. That's a real thing. It's it's because you're experiencing it. So the way that you feel looking at watching flatties is really different than when you are immersed in it. And it really does act like a muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's crazy. That concept alone blows my mind. Is, <laughs> think about how many levers that just pulls at, but. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Because your, your brain really, and when it comes to perception, your brain really struggles to say, okay, but I'm looking at this. Mm-hmm. And you might cognitively be telling yourself, this isn't real, this isn't real. But then when people ask, well, how was it? And you say, yeah, I I almost ran into that tree stump that was down there. But the tree stump was never there, but you
0: point to it anyway. Because it was there for you. Exactly. Your your brain remembers exactly your physical relationship to something that was never there. Wow, that's powerful. I can't imagine trying to direct something in general, flatty or non. Um, And I can't imagine trying to do that in the VR world and try and have that per perception of it because it's quite tricky because you are there and you are seeing the tree stump because you're actually there you know right absolutely and then and that takes us you know to to the third level
1: of Mm -hmm. empathy and potential impact which is that after action Right, and and this is a phrase most nonprofit workers know already. Right, that after action of like coming back. Yes, exactly. Like what? Like how did that trigger all the things that are going to happen now? Mm-hmm. And very powerful. It's critical, I think, when you're designing a 360 or a VR experience in general to be thinking proactively about your after action, because what I have set up and storyboarded as a as a director or producer, and what you the viewer have mm-hmm. experienced and gone through. And then afterward, there's this big expectation where you know, people tend to come out of these things, either crying or laughing or just full of emotion. Yeah. And it's very raw, because it's almost as if you really were there. Yeah. And then what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. Where
0: do you go from there?
1: Where do you go? And and it's something I think that um, is a is a much clearer. Um, how do you phrase it? You know, like if you if you have this kind of near death experience, I think is is the time that people experience that level of clarity, mm-hmm. where they suddenly say, "Wow, that I was, was it was so visceral, it yeah. was so real, and mm-hmm. it totally took me outside of myself and my ego." And this is what I'm going to do with my life now. Now that I've experienced this, right? And and so, short of putting everyone through near death experiences, you know, there are, there are ways that you you can work with and stimulating that level of reaction from people, whether very positive, very emotional, and I, I, absolutely. I, I think one of the things that we were also trying to be very cognizant of is that people do have an
0: emotional cap yeah on empathy right and you don't definitely empathy pack yeah you see that so much in in the social good space Mm -hmm. unfortunately
1: yeah well i mean there's only so much that you can hold you know both for yourself and, and for someone else and then once you reach that that level people start to feel a bit numb Mm-hmm. And, and you never really want to take people that far. And and I see a lot of that happening with a lot of VR for good pieces that are being used primarily for fundraising purposes. Mm-hmm. Where people experience these really tragic storylines. These, You know, it's like the Sarah McLachlan
0: yeah,
1: videos
0: like, with the oh, dog shelters. Right, and and after it. a while, you're just like, I can't. Yeah, it's like, I you're at a 10. I'm going to need you at about a 4. Right. Exactly. It's yeah. like, no, I get it.
1: I get it, right? And and you don't want people to shut down that way. But if all you're thinking about is
0: those emotional mm-hmm. heartstrings that you're going to pull people through but with I that enabling a, action. I have a problem with that. VR or not. I've, I've worked in the nonprofit space. I have my master's degree in public international law focused on human rights. So I'm very, as you are, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure you understand this very well, just well-versed in this s- scene, in this, in this space. And one thing I see too many people do is go straight for the heartstrings, Mm -hmm. which I get why they need money. These nonprofits really do need money to function and they have good intentions. But something about that really strips whoever they're talking about of their power and their empathy. And going back to refugees, because that's what we, we, we initially started this with, I see that so much with the narrative of refugees today and it's kind of like they're seeing like this burden and it makes me so frustrated because I'm like if we didn't treat them like a burden they wouldn't be a burden they're productive people who want to make use of of their time and their life and we're putting them in refugee camps or leaving them in war-torn countries and making it seem like they want it that way and it's like no like let's let's talk about them in a way that that's empowering to them so people who've never met a refugee can see them for more than just someone who's impoverished and struggling because that's the like media image of it. Absolutely it's so frustrating. Absolutely. For me. So I mean, a lot of the work that
1: we did with the grassroots organizations, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're they're speaking exactly to that, right? If you if you help feed someone's hope and optimism, you know, then then they have something to look forward to and and they have a reason to get up out of bed every day when everything else just feels like it's crashing down and has literally crashed down around you. And that's not the narrative story that people outside of those crisis regions
0: see. Yeah. You know, because they're... Which they're, blows my mind, because logically to be a refugee and go through all of that shit and turmoil and still be like, about life and trying to make it with your family, like, you have to be the most optimistic person ever. Absolutely. Like, well, and
1: here's the challenge, right? So when when we perpetually... When, when news groups perpetually feed a story narrative that continues to put, you know, refugees who are volunteering their story, you know, in front of these barren brick walls that happen to be on the backside of a really
0: gorgeous building that maybe they're volunteering at or working at. I and know for a fact that you're talking about a personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> could, you, could you please let everybody else know... A little bit more about what you're talking about. You don't have to yeah. say the news agency if, if you don't want to it, put them on blast. But
1: yeah, I mean, you know, everyone works independently and, and contributes content to different groups. But yeah, I mean, we we did hear a story from you know from a young man who shared with us that you know a global news group wanted to do a story, a very prominent global news, very group. very prominent three letter news group.
0: <laughs> Not CNN. I love CNN. <laughs> I love these guys too, actually. But anyways,
1: yeah, you know they they wanted, you know they they loved the story that you know it was a really articulate young man because he's a filmmaker and he was trying to go to to film school and you know, incredibly yeah. smart and and they said you know you you've got a great story you've got a great presentation we'd love to interview you on camera yeah and he's working for a non, you know he's volunteering and getting a little bit of income from uh, one of the grassroots nonprofits that are there with a really beautiful facility, um, you know, because they're trying to create nice, clean, serene places where people can escape the camps and have Mm -hmm. somewhere nice to go. They met him there for the interview and then moved him to the backside of the building where a little, you know, half built brick wall that was safeguarding the dumpster and all the garbage cans were and that's where they wanted to frame him because they were concerned that if they put it in front of the building that people weren't going to immediately know that they were speaking with a refugee uh, and and i get it right it's publishing it's storytelling you need to help people I get there get quickly it, like
0: come on first of all, first rule <laughs> of writing is like fucking trust your reader yeah second of all like that's just rude like i if, if you're listening to the podcast and not watching it right now i've been shaking my damn head this <laughs> entire story just i cannot deal with that i find that so offensive and although i can sympathize with it i'm just like that yeah. that's an issue it's
1: you know and, and it was it was more about trying to make make the story jump you know, to
0: that conclusion. I mean, stereotypes exist for a reason. It helps But he's this wonderful man who's like making good of his life and probably yeah. so proud of the work he's doing there. And they're like, we're going to put you next to the dumpster because people will understand. And that people need like, to know you're well, coming from people. an improper. Like,
1: it's right. horrible. Well, and this comes back to my point, right? Because he he took a stand and decided not to do the interview because he didn't like the, the way that the shot was being yeah. framed, which good on him, right? But if he yeah. hadn't been a filmmaker, he probably would not have had that kind of. Agency to, to put a stand on it. That being said, you know, he was able for the moment to own his own story, mm-hmm. but that meant that he couldn't tell, tell it. Tell the story. You know, and and what we wanted to do with this documentary was give people an opportunity to tell the perspectives, especially because it's immersive and it's in VR, and you are literally taking the perspective and the shoes of that individual. I find it much more impactful and powerful to let them have that say. Exactly. So in 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 how this fed into the creation of EV realities was to look at you know, what level of agency can we or should we trust and allow individual contributors to create and own their own perspectives and their story for others for to sure. be able to visit and come into right because there are also a number of individuals that we met who were escaping refugee camps with known reputations for being incredibly violent, for being you know areas where, uh, you know the they...
0: refugee camps were incredibly violent.
1: Yes, or the people
0: escaping were
1: the well, no, that the the camps that they were okay. in were environments that were very very violent. You know they couldn't go to the community porta potty and, and like restroom areas at night because of the risk of rape or being attacked. Um, you know their their shelters didn't meet, um, yeah. you know, basic requirements. Like they didn't have windows, they weren't properly spaced, and everybody talked about it. And everybody knew. And and lots of refugees refused to be replaced or placed into the into some of those camps specifically because of the fear of you know the of the conditions of those camps. Of but course. unless you're a UN official you could not enter into those spaces, or if you had a partnership with the UN to deliver services as a nonprofit. But even then, there were restrictions on what you could and couldn't capture visually. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of news groups who wanted to tell a story, you know, there's one journalist friend in particular, who knew everything about what was going on in there, because she had several friends who, who were refugees from that camp who would share with her horror stories. But her editor couldn't allow her to put a story out Unless she could go in there and see it herself. If she could go in and photograph. Now, the likelihood, I mean, that's a whistleblower situation is what it is because the UN won't allow
0: it mm-hmm. for people to come in. And, but it's so frustrating too because a lot of people who want to do good kind of need the UN as like a backer or kind of like a, I've worked with the UN. Look at this accolade when mm-hmm. I was trying to implement, um, Uh, Education systems in Africa for for refugees in refugee African African refugee camps. I we were trying to work with the U.N. We raise all this money to get to this this certain camp and we get there and the U.N. was like, well, we actually don't want to do any programs that have to do with higher education and we were like we sent people we used money <laughs> to send people here and built this thing because we had previously talked about it and, and agreed about uh, on it and you guys tell us like now that we've made our like my whole team made their way to this refugee camp that was really hard to get to mm-hmm. and they're now telling us that and i was so upset and bothered by it and then later in life um got interviewed by Girl Boss about the work i was doing there and was super open and honest about it because i i am like that with everything i do and someone i was working with then retracted what i had said about the un doing that because they didn't want our work to they didn't want the un to be upset and then like pull their funding from it was like this whole mess and ordeal and i was just like Ugh, I just want transparency for everybody, for me, for refugees, for the situation. Like, and it's not the UN's fault. It's not one thing's fault. Like, it's a really, it's it's a it's a really multifaceted issue, as is not just the refugee crisis. Any I- impoverished state or or horrible or horrible issue going on in the world. It's not just like one thing and one solution. But I think people denying the flaws in the system and just mm. supporting the bureaucracy that's actually making it worse. I feel like if I could dedicate my life to one thing, it would be to making that not a thing. Like let's be transparent. Let's actually find real solutions yeah. to these issues. So oh, girl, for going I mean a we rant, we,
1: but we could do an entire other thing on on bureaucracy and change inside of the UN and I'm sure it would be
0: yeah, really I mean, insightful I'm to and to have you back on the show.
1: <laughs> But I mean, yeah, there's, there's a reason for the processes, it all has to do with security and protection of identities and protecting these individuals, a number of them are on the run, which is why I don't mention people's names and what you know, because for all the flaws in the system, I think people genuinely are driven to try and achieve some level they, of good they, they're and service dedicating their
0: life to do good if they're yeah. in that position. So you can only talk so much shit. But.
1: Right. Well, and that being said, though, I mean, we when we decided to go with a blockchain encryption technologies for content submission and creating smart contracts of mm-hmm. that with EV realities, specifically for immersive media, it's because we want the kind of perspectives that refugees can capture. Yes. Right. Like the old tenet about photography is that the best camera is the one that you have on you. Mm-hmm. And if refugees have access to smartphones, and they do... Mm-hmm you know they can very easily take a picture with a google cardboard camera submit it and through reputation based trust systems that the yes. blockchain provides we can start to authenticate them I as users that. and and you know really treat it as a whistleblower situation
0: thank you all so much for listening to all three installments of our haven't said enough about refugees segment in our next episode, we sit back down with Zach and Grassi to explore the making of living on $1, where these guys go to Guatemala and actually live on $1 a day. If you enjoyed this episode of Haven't Said Enough, then let us know. Help spread our message by liking, sharing, and subscribing. What else haven't we said enough about? Reach out to me via Instagram and Twitter, at Alyssa Satara to join the conversation. The team at Haven't Said Enough is dedicated to continuing the conversation on important issues impacting our world. We support meaningful causes and your support makes our voices even louder. Please go to haven'tsaidenough.com support for more ways that you can help.